What does the Bible say about dating or marrying someone with a significant age difference? It's the cross-culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Nobody has to be convinced of the need to pray. There's just one problem, though. We don't pray. We don't pray. Prayer. Someone has said that prayer is the match that lights the fuse to God's power. Almost everyone at one time or another has prayed. As followers of Jesus, we certainly understand the importance of prayer in our relationship with God. So here's a question for us to consider today. If we understand the importance of prayer, and we know that God wants us to pray, and we know that we need to pray, then why don't we pray? Oh, I know, I know I need to pray, but I, I've, just got, I've got to have the kids here, and I've got to do that, and I, I've got this appointment, I've got that schedule, and I've got whatever. Jesus, in the midst of the busyness of life, refuses to allow that busyness to interfere with the importance of prayer. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay continues his series entitled, Cross Culture in 3D, So Real You Can Touch It. It's a series designed to make our walk with Christ come alive. The series is centered around three crucial dimensions to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, desire, discipline, and duplication. Today, we move into the area of disciplines in our life, and the first one we're going to talk about is prayer. As you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, statistics show that the average Christian spends about a minute a day praying. That's not very much time for something that most of us would agree should be an important part of our lives. We live in an age and a culture where we have more time-saving devices than in the history of the world. More time-saving devices than have ever been known to man. We can Facebook. We can instant message. We can text. We can tweet. We can even Google. But we don't have time to pray. The next two weeks, Pastor Clay is going to help us build into our lives the discipline of prayer. We have lots of things demanding our time, but there's nothing more valuable to spend our time on than prayer. We're glad you've joined us today for this week's Crosswalk. I'm of the uh, belief that everybody has intentions. Uh, The intention to get healthy, intention to get in shape, the intention to lose weight. The intention to get an education or find a better job or quit smoking or get out of debt. The, the list really could, could go on and on. But the difference between intention and reality is often as wide as the Grand Canyon. The intention that we have often never seems to quite measure up when the reality comes around, does it? For instance, a moment ago I mentioned the the intention, that oftentimes we have the intention to get healthy, right? That's, I mean, most of us think about that at some, perhaps some point in our lives, have the intention to get healthy, and, and yet I, I came across this uh, article recently in the New York Times 
that, uh, that said that about, only about 15% of Americans belong to a gym. And of the 15% that belong to a gym, 45% of them uh, quit, drop out during the year. Intention. Um, I came across this article at CNN.com that said roughly 100 million Americans make New Year's resolution. resolution. Now, that's about a third of the population of America. 100 million Americans make New Year's resolutions and four out of five of them don't stick with them. Intentions. As I said, the, the difference between intentions and uh, reality is often as wide as the Grand Canyon. The difference between those two often comes down to discipline. Discipline. It's a hard word for us, isn't it? The idea of building in disciplines into our lives. I, uh, I have, some, most of you know that uh, I have, we have uh, four uh, grandsons, and our oldest one, uh, Wyatt, he's three and a half. The other day, he was up in uh, Cindy's office. He was in he was in Nani's office, and uh, she had this uh, box up there. It was wrapped in Christmas wrappings and everything, uh, because at Christmas time, when the kids come over and uh, we all get together, Cindy usually has these games and stuff prepared that we do, and just kind of a fun thing. To do Well, this past Christmas, there was just sickness and all this stuff. And so there was never a time when everybody was able to get together at one time. And so we never did any of our, our games. And so one of the games involved this big box wrapped up Christmas present. You know that game, right? You, uh, you unwrap it and pull off the lid and there's another box inside of it. And you unwrap it and take off the lid and there's another box inside of it. And so on and so forth. Well, uh, Wyatt says, what's this, Nani? And, uh, and Cindy says, well, it's a, it's a game. Well... He's all about games. So Wyatt says, I don't want to play a game. I want to play the game. She said, you do? Okay. Well, it didn't look like we were going to get, be able to get the family together at one time to do this. And it's already February. So no... <laughs> and so uh, she says, all right, start unro- unwrapping the box. So he unwraps the box, you know, and, and there's another box. And he takes it out. And, and, and he, of course, he's looking, you know, he's looking for a game. <laughs> and, he, and he unwraps the box and he takes it out and he, and he unwraps the box and takes it out and Cindy said after about the I think he said fourth or fifth after the fifth box he said huh, this game is annoying <laughs> I, I think that's how we feel about discipline in our lives it takes more than four letters to spell it but it's a four letter word to a lot of us isn't it discipline The same is true when we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Last week, we opened this series about a three-dimensional view of a fully devoted follower of Jesus with looking at the first dimension, and that was desire. And if you weren't here last week, listen, I, I really, I strongly suggest that you go back and listen to the podcast of that message because I said In that message, I say it again today. If there is not a desire in our life for these things, then everything else that I'll talk about in the coming weeks having to do with this series just won't make any difference at all. It it has to start with desire. But having established this idea of desire, and when we talked a lot about that and how you get that and everything else last week, but having established the fact that I need desire in my life if I'm going to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, if I'm going to, to make this thing so real that it's so authentic 
that people can, can see it, that they can actually almost reach out and touch it, having established the fact that I need desire in my life, we now have to discuss the idea of the second dimension, and that is disciplines. Building the disciplines into my life necessary to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Because as important as desire is, and it is crucial, it's not enough. (laughs) Besides desire, we have to build some disciplines into our life. Beginning today, we're going to spend several weeks looking at a number of disciplines that should be built into the life of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. But today, we begin with the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. All of the disciplines will be important. None is more important than this one. There's this old saying. It goes something like this. There are no atheists in foxholes. Have you ever heard that? The idea is that in the moment of, of crisis in our life, when it's, when it's really crunch time in our life, whether it's a foxhole or whether it's a, a, a bad marriage or whether it's a, a job situation that's strained or a financial situation that's rough, or in those crisis moments in our life, everybody tends to turn to God in those moments. Everybody begins to, to, to look at the bigger picture and begin to search out this idea of God. And, and I've discovered that everybody wants to talk to God when they feel like they really need to hear from him and, and make sure he hears what they have to say too. Nobody has to be convinced of the need to pray. Certainly Christians don't. Do they? Certainly followers of Jesus don't need to be convinced of the need to pray. Even people that may not want to have anything to do with God necessarily, sometimes when they, when they find out that I'm a pastor, sometimes will, will ask me to pray for this situation or, or that situation or, or something that's going on in their life. Nobody has to be convinced of the need to pray. There's just one problem though. We don't pray. We don't pray. Not not like we're supposed to, anyway. Now listen, I know that there are exceptions. Some of you are what I would refer to as prayer warriors. Some of you are people that spend significant amounts of time before the Father, interceding for your family, interceding for this church, asking for, for God to be glorified, for His kingdom to be expanded, for His will to be done. Thanks for praying. But the truth is, a significant number of Christians spend virtually no time in prayer, but wonder why their faith seems so small and God's presence in their life seems so ineffective and they seem to have so little power. According to uh, KGBanswers.com, the average Christian spends three to seven minutes a day in prayer. Can I tell you, I am of the belief that that number is highly inflated. I honestly believe the Barna Research Group is much closer to that number. According to Barna Research Group, the average Christian only spends one minute a day praying, and the average pastor spends only five minutes a day praying. Well, that can't be right, <laughs> can it? I'm pretty sure it is right. 
I'm pretty sure it is right. It's the discipline of prayer. This thing that we all, as followers of Jesus anyway, would all recognize as so, so elemental, so crucial, so vital to my life. And yet I don't do it. We tend to not do it. I am not going to spend the next two weeks trying to convince you of the need to pray. You already know you need to pray. Now, next week we will talk some about the benefits of prayer, and and that may build in some motivation for us to pray more. But the truth is you already know you need to pray. My intention over the next two weeks is really just trying to help you build in the discipline of prayer into your life. So today... As far as, we'll see how far we get, but today the intention is to look at two aspects, two practical aspects of prayer, and next week we'll look at two more practical aspects of prayer. And today we begin with the first practical aspect of prayer, which is the prerequisites of prayer. There are prerequisites for prayer. Now please understand this list is not intended to be exhaustive But for the purposes of this message and this series, I want to mention two prerequisites that should be a part of your prayer life. The first is the prerequisite of dedication. There has to be a dedication in your life to prayer. Um, If you've got a Bible, you can turn. We're going to be in a lot of different verses today. But if you want to look at... uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, go ahead and turn there. Let me bring it up on the screen. I want you to see Luke chapter 5 and, and verse 16. Let me read this verse to you. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and what? Say it. Say it again, please. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Now, the context of Luke chapter 5 is Jesus up to his elbows in ministry. Jesus up to his neck in the busyness of life. And isn't that the excuse we always use? Can we be honest? Isn't that, isn't that the one? Oh, I know I, know I need to pray, but I, I've, just got, I've got to have the kids here, and I've got to do that, and I, I've got this appointment, I've got that schedule, and I've got whatever. Jesus, in the midst of the busyness of life refuses to allow that busyness to interfere with the importance of prayer. He is dedicated to the discipline of prayer in his life. And may I remind you, (laughs) this is Jesus Christ we're talking about, God in the flesh, born of a virgin, come to earth, living an absolutely sinless life in perfect unity with the will of the Father, and yet he still understood the importance of dedication to prayer. Now, if any of us here believe that we have reached a level of spiritual maturity beyond that of Jesus, then by all means make your case For less of a need to dedication of prayer. But if you have not reached a level beyond that of Jesus, then we best wake up and smell the coffee. And realize that we have to be dedicated to this thing. We have to pour our lives into this thing if we're ever going to see us get out of it what we need to get out of it. If it's ever going to be a discipline in my life, I have to dedicate myself to this. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this story about this widow who comes to a judge 
keeps coming to this judge over and over and over again to get justice. That chapter opens with Jesus giving an explanation of why he tells that story. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to, what's this? To show them that they should always, what? Read it with me. Pray and not give up. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's why I'm telling you this story. So you'll pray and you'll not give up. Dedication. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is, is just talking about the life of a believer. In chapter 12 and verse 12, he says this. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Say it with me. Faithful in prayer. Dedication. In Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul's discussing the importance of putting on that whole armor of God because you've got a real enemy out there and, and, and he's coming at you and he's attacking you and he's doing all these things. You better do that. In the context of Ephesians chapter 6, he says this. And pray in the Spirit, watch this, on half the occasions or some of the occasions or, oh no, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Dedication. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray continually. Well, gee, I wonder if God's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us that we have to dedicate our lives to prayer. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no way around this. We have to dedicate ourselves to prayer. Because the busyness of life will push this out of the way if we allow it to. By the way, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that we live in an age and time? I know I've said this before, but it just, it, it befuddles me. That we live in an age, in a culture where we have more time-saving devices than in the history of the world. More time-saving devices than have ever been known to man. Some of us have, not me, but we have our iPhones. I'm hoping. We have, we have our iPods. We even have our iPads now. We, we, can, we can Facebook. We can instant message. We can text. We can, we can tweet. We can even Google, but we don't have time to pray. I tell you, it's almost as if it's almost as if there's a spiritual enemy out there determined to keep us so busy with our time-saving devices that we never have time to pray. There has to be a dedication to prayer. Okay, let, let me let me give you what have I got next, Tyler? Bring it up, please. I think I've got the the three things that they need to do. Listen, I, I, need, I got lots I got to say and I need to move on. But let, let's just start with this, this idea of dedication to prayer. Stop making excuses. You, you just got to start there. I, I've got to, we've, all of us have to start. Stop making excuses. Okay? All right, now I just, I'm going to say it. I, I've been saving this one for 10 years. I heard this a long time ago. I've been saving this one for 10 years, waiting for the right moment to say it. Some of y'all going to say, well, he shouldn't have said that. That was rude. That was crude. I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. Stop making excuses because in the case of, of the excuses that we make for prayer, I'll tell you this, excuses are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple of them and they stink. Stop making excuses. We've got to come to this place where we say, God, this has got to be the priority of my life. Stop making excuses. Second, start making time. By the way, this is not in your outline. This is just something I added last night. Start making time. You've got to set it aside. Can I tell you this? You've got you've to calendar it in to your outlook. 
You've got to put an alarm on your phone. You've got to put an alarm by you. Whatever it takes, you have to do it. If you have to be to work at 8 o'clock, and so you normally get up at 7, you've got to get up at 6. If you have to be to work at 6, and you have to get up at 5, you've got to get up at 4. Or whatever time you determine. But folks, you just, you just got to do it. You got to stop making excuses. You got to start making time. And then the last thing I would say to that is you got to stay with it. Because, oh, that enemy I mentioned a moment ago, he's going to be right there. Oh, this, this isn't, you don't have time for this. It's not working. It's not doing any good. You, you prayed for this and, and you didn't see that happen. Or, or, or you wanted God to change this and you didn't see that change or them change. Or, or this, you don't, you don't do this and you don't have time anyway. And just stay with it. Don't quit. And if it's a dedication in your life, you won't. You'll make it a part of your life. And listen, don't tell me it can't be done, right? We ded- dedicate ourselves to our spouse if we're married, and well, we should. We dedicate ourselves to our children if we have children. We ded- dedicate ourselves to our work. We dedicate ourselves to a hobby or to a, to a sport. So don't tell me it can't be done. The first prerequisite is there has to be dedication. All right, let me give you the second uh, prerequisite today. Not only does there need to be dedication, there needs to be expectation. There needs to be an expectation in my life that when I go to God, I go to Him expecting Him to do something. Now, I don't, I don't mean that in an, in an arrogant way. That sounded kind of arrogant when I said that, I thought. Demanding God to do something, no. But expecting God to do something because we believe that He is this God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere present. Who, who compels us, who urges us, who, who pleads with us even to come to him in prayer. So when you pray, do you expect God to answer? Look at this passage of scripture from the book of James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> yeah, sure, James. Uh, because you know, watch this, here's why you should consider joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Watch this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. We looked at that earlier in the Q&A. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. Ask God. Pray. Talk to him about it. And it will be given to you. Watch this. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt Because the one who doubts, he's like the wave of a sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, let me say this. I, I, I know I need to move on. Let me say this. That verse has been used and abused by those who would teach that if you just believe strong enough, God will give you anything you want. If it's two Mercedes Benz in the driveway, if it's health, if it's wealth, if it's prosperity, if you just believe enough, God will give you anything you want. That, is, that has nothing to do with what that verse is talking about. First, I don't have time to go down the whole road, but in the context of James chapter 1, he's, he's, he's talking to people about asking for something that God would want to grant. In this case, wisdom. You need wisdom about a situation? Ask God. As I said last week, what in the world would possibly make you think that God would not answer that prayer? Because you're asking him for what he's wanted you to have in your life the whole time. 
His guidance, His direction, His will for your life. And so when you go to God about a situation and you say, God, I, I just want to ask for your wisdom on this. I don't know whether it's something I should do. Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? Should I, should I date this person? Should I not date this person? Should I, should I be involved in this? Should I not be involved in this? God, would you, would, would you speak to me about that? James says, you don't even need to wonder whether God will respond to that prayer or not. Of course he will, because he wants you to follow his wisdom and his will for your life. But if I ask God for his wisdom in in some situation, but then I make decisions based on, well, I kind of think this, or, or I heard Oprah the other day said this, or, or my mother-in-law said that I better this. James says, what, what, are you, what are you doing? You're asking God, but then you're, then you're going back over here and you're, and you're doing... No. No, there's, there ought to be an expectation that if I ask God for something that's clearly in his will, he's going, he's going to move on that. Now, watch, listen to me before we move on. The expectation that he's not necessarily going to answer every prayer the way I want to or the way I think he should, right? Because I know best. But an expectation that God will answer the prayer exactly as he knows is best in his wisdom, within his strength, for his purposes. So it's an expectation. Do you expect God to move? Do you expect him to use your prayers when you go to him? All right, real quickly. That's, that's the first practical aspect of prayer. The prerequisites of prayer. Dedication expectation. A lot more I could say about that, but real quickly we need to move on. Let me go to the second practical aspect of prayer uh, today, and that is the position of prayer. The prerequisites, now the position. And I'm not necessarily referring to, you know, bended knees or bowed head or or folded hands. Uh, All of that's fine, but that's not necessarily what, what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to, first and foremost, is your heart. The position of your heart. What is the position of your heart when you go to God in prayer? Do you even think about that? Or are we usually in such a hurry that we rush in trying to get out everything that we want to tell God, everything we want to ask God, and everything we want to get off our chest to God, and we got to get out of there as quick as we can? Or do I ever just stop and think about what is the condition, what is the position of my heart before God. Uh, look at some of these uh, verses of Scripture. In Psalm 10, verse 17. O Lord, you have heard the desire of who? The humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. That's who God's listening to. Those who are humble in heart. Uh, Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire, here's what God really wants, is a broken spirit. Watch this. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look at this one, Isaiah chapter 57. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one, says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. It's the condition of your heart before God. What does that look like? What's going on in my life? Because this really isn't rocket science, is it? I mean, it, it's, really kind of, it's really kind of plain. 
God doesn't think a lot of those that, that go to him with a heart that's, that's haughty or, or arrogant or prideful or, or whatever. In, uh, I think it's in Luke 18 also. We're there earlier, but in Luke 18, Jesus tells this awesome story uh, that shows the, the difference between a heart that's ready to be in the presence of God and a heart that is not. Uh, look at this. It says, uh, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Jesus is always telling parables for a reason. Listen to that. You know this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Meaning that he was not, he probably was not a godly man. He was a sinful man. He tended to cheat people, rip them off, that kind of thing. That's why it uses that term. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there that I'm as far away from as I can get and still be in the same building. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. Tax collector. Oh, the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus closes out the parable by saying, I tell you that this man, rather than the other man, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, that's why the condition of my heart, the position of my heart is so crucial when I go to God in prayer. He just doesn't have a lot of patience for people that would in some way come thinking that they have a, a, a right to or somehow that they're better than other people or that they're sinless themselves. It's the condition of the heart. You want to make sure your heart is in the right position? When you go to prayer, make sure those three elements are, are there. First, gratitude. And can I tell you, quite honestly, that's the easiest one. Man, God, I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm grateful for, for who you are, but I'm grateful for what you've done. I'm grateful for what you've given me. I'm, I'm grateful for the salvation that I have. I'm grateful for, I mean, we could, we could spend our lives just enumerating all the things. But there's something about gratitude that makes me appreciative and makes me uh, more in position to speak to God and to hear from God. That's the easy one. The next one's a little more difficult to humble myself before God. And by, by humility, by the way, I'm not necessarily just talking about somebody that's not prideful. I'm talking about someone that empties themselves of self. No self-centeredness, no self-focus, no, no self-anything. But to humbly come before God, empty of me, because I have discovered that no matter how much I may want it to be, the universe does not revolve around me. There's not room for two kings. There's only one. His throne is a one-seater. And there's no room for me to sit on that throne as well. And I have to humble myself and recognize he is God and I am not. Believe me, that's more important than you realize. Which then leads to the, the third, and that is surrender. To just be surrendered before God. Some of the guys that I mentor with on a regular basis have heard me say this on a number of occasions. I, 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 I'm, I'll just say it, I guess, till I die. But it, it is the idea of coming before God every single day and saying, and I would suggest out loud, if at all possible, Private Stevens reporting for duty, Sir, 
Whatever you want to do in and through me today. Whoever you want to touch or impact in and through me today. Whatever you need to get done to bring you honor and glory and build your kingdom today. Lord God, I surrender to you. I present my life to you. Do with me as you absolutely need to, want to, and will do. And then guess what? You re-up tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that, every day for the rest of your life. Private Stevens reporting for duty. Sir, it's surrender. And that's not always easy, is it? Your heart. Second position of prayer, your head. And again, I'm not necessarily referring to bowed head. I'll have nothing wrong with that. But I'm referring more to the focus of your mind. You see, when we go to the Lord in prayer, there needs to be a single focus. Now, we may pray about a good many things. So I'm not saying that, that we're not bringing in... Multi- I mean, there's lots of stuff to pray about. And, and He's our Heavenly Father. He wants to hear from us. He wants to hear about it. Not because He doesn't know, but because it's, it's a relationship thing. But in the midst of that praying, there ought to be a single focus... There's this great example that I, of that in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And let's, let's kind of break it down and show it to you real quickly here. Um, prayer starts out in, in, uh, in verse 9. Uh, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, that's, that's who he is. It's a recognition, again, that God is God and, and I am not hallowed or, or holy or exalted be your name, the God who is in heaven, the creator of all, the one who spoke it into existence and holds it by his mighty power. That's what the focus of my prayer ought to be. It's who he is. And remember, this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. It goes on from there, hallowed be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he wants. You see, I may talk to him about a lot of things, but where's the focus of my prayer? Is it on what he wants? I have discovered if I'm not careful, about 99.9% of my entire prayer time can be about what I want. Or think. Or want. Or think. Or hope. or. And Jesus, when you pray, pray this way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you pray for what God wants? He goes on. He he talks about it some more. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what he provides. Do you see the single focus? It's still, we're talking about a lot of things, but it's all about God. God, you give us this day. You're the one that makes provision for everything that I have. By the way, in in a few weeks, we'll get to the discipline of stewardship. You know, your money. So, I'm not even going to tell you what week I'm going to do that. So, just be be a surprise. But before we even get there, can I just tell you this? When, 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 you, when, you, learn, when you learn this, when, when, you know when you'll learn to get up off your money or, or, and manage it the way God wants it to manage, not just the church, but you learn to manage money when you understand that it's never yours to begin with, that, it, that it's all his. It all comes from him, every bit of it. You give us this day, our day. I, it all comes from you. All the provision I have, everything, anything that I have, it's from you. It's, it's what he provides. And then... Um, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Yes, there's an expectation when we go to God in prayer. There are things that he expects out of our life. 
And Jesus says, when you pray, pray, God, forgive me like I'm forgiving them as we also have forgiven our debtors. We kind of forget that sometimes, don't we? Yeah, but God, you don't understand what they did to me. Oh, yeah. You just nailed me to a cross. And, um, and, then, and then finally, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's what he can do. However that might come out, I, I might be praying, God, I, I just want to pray for, for physical healing for this person. God is the one that ultimately has that power. And there's nothing wrong with praying for that. And to pray that way, or, or my, God, you know my needs financially. I, I'm trying to, to be faithful to you and be a good steward. But, but Lord God, I, 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 need, I need this. And I, I need to be able to, this. It's what, it's what he can do. Yours is the kingdom and the power. It's a single focus of prayer. You may pray about a lot of things, and God wants you to. But make sure that your focus ultimately is on God. And then one more position real quickly, and that's your hands. In the position of prayer, your hands. Two things about your hands. First, they need to be clean. Spiritually speaking. When you come before God in your life, they need to be clean. Here's what uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up, what kind of hands? Holy hands. The implication is clean hands, separated hands, hands that are not involved in wanton, willful, intentional, continual prayer or, or sin in my life if I want to pray to God. To lift up holy hands without anger or disputing. Real quickly, let, let, we got to stop. But you, you got to, men especially, you got to see this. First uh, Peter chapter 3, I think it is. Uh, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. As the weaker partner, don't get upset, ladies. It's not, it's not, it's not an insult. I've covered that. I'll cover that some other time. Uh, listen to what he says now. Husbands, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Uh-oh. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Whoop. I wonder if some of the conduct that perhaps in the way I've treated my wife... It sometimes has caused my prayers to, as the old saying goes, just bounce off the ceiling. It goes on. It says, finally, all of you, he says, now everybody, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. What's he talking about? A, a called-out life, a separate life, a holy life. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing, so that you can receive a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. Watch this. For the eyes of the Lord are on who? The righteous. Not righteous in our own selves, but but we've come to faith in Christ and he has cleansed us and our lives reflect that. His eyes are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the lord is against those who do evil i'm sorry i'm sorry you you can you can claim a relationship with jesus all day but if you if you're living in your life with some type of of willful in other words god's word is clear about it and you don't care this just this is how it is you like it this is where you're going to stay continual because that's what i hear people say well none of us are perfect 
No, we're not. What we're talking about is continual, ongoing sin that I'm unwilling to move away from. You'd best not expect God to move on your behalf or answer your prayers because he says there, his ears are attentive to the righteous. I know that's a lot to take in this morning and next week is a whole other batch. But we got to pray. We got to have the discipline of prayer. We got to dedicate ourselves to it. We got to expect God to move. We have to be in the right position with our heart and with our head and with our hands. And if they are, we can expect with full confidence that God is going to move and accomplish His purposes. Prayer works. But we got to pray. The prerequisites of prayer and the position of prayer. Those certainly are two important aspects of a proper understanding of prayer. As we learn today, there has to be dedication of our time to the discipline of prayer or it's never going to happen. Life keeps us plenty busy, too busy when it keeps us from talking to our Heavenly Father. As we learn today, there needs to be an expectation that God is there, that He hears our prayers, and that He will answer them according to His wisdom. Pastor Clay also taught us about the proper position of prayer with our heart, our head, and our hands. It's exciting to know that the God of the universe wants to talk with us. Next week, Pastor Clay is going to continue his teaching on the discipline of prayer, and we hope that you'll join us. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. I want to do a, a Q&A today. Uh, we do that each week around here. Interesting question uh, today. And the, the Q&A looks like this. What does the Bible say about dating or marrying someone with a significant age difference? Last week, we did something kind of uh, connected to, you know, dating and marriage. And we did the whole living together and all that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, just uh, dealing with this one this week. What does the Bible say about dating or marrying someone with a significant age difference? Nothing. Zippo. Nada. Uh, it, it really doesn't. As far as I could find, uh, there's only one place in Scripture where an age difference is even mentioned. 
uh, a numeric is uh, a number is actually uh, given in Genesis 17. We're told that uh, Abraham was 10 years older than Sarah. But as far as I know, that's the only couple that I can find that an age difference is given. Now, traditionally, um, it's believed that Joseph was significantly older than Mary. But there's there's no biblical evidence of that. We really don't have any way of knowing that. It's just tradition kind of uh, has taught us that Joseph was significantly older uh, than Mary. Um, because he apparently has passed away at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Mary's there and Joseph's no longer there. And so it's assumed that he has died. And so he must have been older. But the truth is, we really don't know. There is no biblical prohibition uh, to marrying or dating. And those two would go together because I got news for you. Anybody you date is a prospective marriage partner. So you need to, need to consider that. Uh, there is no prohibition against the, the age of a person that you date. The only prohibition biblical about the person that you should, should marry slash date would be the fact that a believer, a follower of Jesus, uh, should not date slash marry a non-believer in Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 6 looks like this. You are not the same as those who do not believe. So do not join yourselves to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. Paul's not saying that we're any better than a person who doesn't believe. He's just saying that, that you've entered into the light. You've entered into a relationship with Christ. You don't have anything in common with this person anymore as far as how you'll make your decisions and how you'll live your life and all of those types of things. And so Scripture's quite clear on that. And, uh, and I, I hear it sometimes. That, oh, but you don't understand. You know, we're in love or, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert him over or something. You know, I've I believe me, I've, I've heard them all uh, through the years. I, I'm just telling you, uh, Scripture says you're unequally yoked. I think it's the way the King James puts it. You, you, you just best not uh, go down that road. Now, like any uh, relationship you would enter into, whether it's significant age difference or not, you would certainly want to consider uh, your compatibility, your interests that you share together, uh, your hobbies, your likes, all that kind of stuff. For instance, if, if you, you know, want to see the big race today... Right? If, if, you're, if you're all in NASCAR and the Super Bowl of NASCAR is the beginning of the season, I never have understood that, but they, you're all into Daytona 500 and, uh, and your spouse wants to watch the Crochet Channel or, you know, or, uh, the World Shuffleboard Championships or something, you know, it could be a conflict, especially if you only have one TV in your home. So um, you, you would do that with any, any age person you would want to consider. What are, how are, how is this fit in? Do we have... We get along, all that kind of stuff. One other idea. I know it's a crazy novel idea, but when, the, when discussing the idea of dating or the person that I should marry or who that might be, you might consider asking God. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God, do you have somebody out there for me? Who would that be? Would you direct my path? Would you guide me? Would you give me wisdom about this person, whether it's right or wrong? That's Q&A.